pick up the rest of the chapter this morning. And but, but the theme verse is verse number 19. So in Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse number 19, the theme verse for the chapter, I think. And it says this, Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So notice that again. Therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of, see that word there, and of the what? The Say it with me. The Yeah, the household of God. And so there's two parts on the household of God. I think everything that's said in the chapter is leading up to that statement that this is who you are. This is who you belong to. You belong to the household of God. If you remember last week, we said this. If I were to ask you about your house, you might uh, tell me, in fact, somebody was, Patrick was sharing with me this morning some things about his house, right? And how that, like a lot of our old, how many of you live in a, how many of you live in a house that's a hundred years old or more? How many of us do? Yeah, there's quite a few of us that live in these old, old houses. And um, he said, original construction material in the basement. And those of you know, over time, that original construction, you go in my dad's basement and there's still bark. There's literally still bark on the support structure of the house. So that literal, that, that original support material starts to sag a little bit sometimes over time. Um, so if you can help him out, he's looking for, he's looking for some help and some counsel. Yeah. So anyhow, you might, if, you, if I were to ask you to describe your house, you would probably start to tell me about the bedrooms and the, and the structure of the house and the, how many bathrooms and the color and all of that. But if I said, tell me about your household, now you're talking about the people, the individuals that, that give it a sense of meaning. You might talk about the spirit of your household and the traditions of your household. You talk about the goals and plans and dreams and vision for your household as you raise it up. A different message for another time, but I'm afraid her culture is losing that idea of the household and the family unit and the God's purpose for it. And, but anyhow, that's again another, another topic. Today we're talking about the family of God, the household of God. And so last week in the first 10 verses, we saw that this is a family of grace, that our place, our, our, our place in God's family is not anything that we have earned it's something that we have received. It's a, it's a relationship that we've entered into, and we spoke all last week about grace. Well, this morning now, as we pick it up, we're going to look at verse number 11 through the end of the chapter. We want to see the place, the place where I belong, the sense of belonging, that this is my family. This is the, this is the, the, the relationship with Christ and the relationship with his people, with the relationship with the saints that I have been called into and where I have my belonging. We all want to belong, don't we? And if we, if we don't find that sense of belonging early in our lives, we tend to seek it out in other relationships or organizations or groups. We all have this desire for belonging. Well, that sense of belonging is there because God has created us to belong. But first and foremost, it is to belong to Him. So that's enough introduction. Let's just get right to the text this morning. But first, let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we have the privilege today as, a, as your household gathered to let your word speak to us. I just pray that you'd help me. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to listen and to, to see what the scriptures have for us and to really unpack the meaning and the application. 
But Lord, we need your presence and we need your power. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, here in verse 11, you're going to see verses 11 through 18 are kind of this rich description of uh, our new place in God's family. And so that's the first thing I want you to notice, that you and I, because of Jesus Christ, we have a new place. There's a new place made in the family of God. Verse number 11, he says, wherefore, remember. Remember, in order to understand this, and, and he says that before, he told us all about the grace of God. If you remember from last week, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, you've been made alive in Christ. And, but now in verse number 11, he wants us to remember what it was like without Christ. So he says, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Made near, made, made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, if you notice, there's some things that we've got to take a few minutes to explain here in these verses. He says, remember back, remember your life before Jesus Christ in verse number 11. It says, in those time past, in that time past, you were Gentiles. Now, in the economy of the New Testament, there are only there are only three groups of people. Now, that's kind of interesting. The Bible says there's that in the, in the church, while there are individual differences and distinctions, at, in our standing before God, the, the Bible, especially the book of Ephesians, teaches there's only three groups of people. There were the Jews, there were the Gentiles, and then there, there's the church. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. In fact, the scripture says that in Christ, there's no male nor female. There's no free. There's no slave. But we're all one in Christ. And so what he says is he says, listen, your former identity. In Ephesians, he's speaking not to a group of Jewish believers, but a group of Gentile believers. And he's telling them, this is who you were before Jesus. You were a Gentile. Now, in the, in the previous verses, it talked about what that meant as far as their sinfulness. But this isn't talking about their sinful condition. This verse is talking about their separated condition. The fact that because of, their, because of who they were, they experienced separation. They experienced separation from the people of God. They experienced separation even from God himself. Why? Because they were Gentiles. Now, it was clear, you see, because in the Old Testament, God had revealed himself to his chosen people the children of Israel, the Jews. Now, it wasn't that Gentiles couldn't come and be a part, but there had, over the course of the centuries and through the law, there had become a very clear separation between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, if you went to the temple, if you went to the temple, there was a series of courts, and the very outermost court was literally known as the court. You might even be able to guess it now. It was known as the court of the, what do you think? The furthest one away. Who are we talking about here? The court of the, Aaron, help me. Okay, thank you. The court of the Gentiles. Because they were allowed to come, they were allowed to come 
to the temple, but they weren't allowed in. And in fact, even only, we could, we could do a whole Bible study on this, but even only a select group of the Jewish priests were allowed to get in the closest to the Lord. But he says, in the time past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. In fact, the, 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 the Jews called you the uncircumcision. That was their the kind of derogatory term for anyone who was not, not Jewish. You see that in the Old Testament as David uh, goes up against Goliath. They would talk about him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It was kind of like a, a, a slight. You know, oh, they, they belong to the outsiders. They are, we are the insiders and they are the outsiders. It's important that we as the church of God realized that, that we are not a collection of uh, insiders who have special status because of who we are, but we are simply the outcasts, the outsiders who've been brought in. We kind of forget that sometimes, right? Church, churches can, can become a, a, have a feeling, a, an insider feeling as opposed to welcoming those who would come just as they are to be made new in Christ. But he says, this is who you were. You were outsiders. In verse number 12, but not only that, not only did you not feel that sense of belonging, but in verse number 12, there's a personal, there's a, there's a personal ramification of this, and that is you were without Christ. You had no Jesus. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise. That statement there, aliens from the commonwealth, obviously has the idea of citizenship. But then when you come to strangers from the covenants of promise, the idea here is that all of the promises, think of all the promises in the Old Testament given to Israel, the promise of Messiah, the promise of king, the, the future kingdom, the pro, all these promises, well, they belong to Israel, but he reminds them, but they didn't belong to you. They didn't belong to you. And then this personal part, it says, strangers from the covenants of promise. And then look here, having no hope. Having no hope and without God in the world. It's always a question, isn't it, as believers, when we go through difficulties or, or times of loss and we experience times of suffering in our lives, how many of you ever asked the questions, I don't, under, I don't know how people go through this without knowing the Lord. Had that experience before? As you know the pain and you feel the sorrow and you feel the difficulty of something you're going through, you say, I just can't imagine going through this without the hope that Jesus gives. Sadly, that's the message of, you talk about being an outsider, you're talking about being without hope in the world. Our current culture, the, some of the predominant forces in education and art and literature and in philosophy tell you that you are a mistake, a cosmic accident, you are a piece of molecular collection whirling through the atmosphere or through the universe, headed in no particular direction and to no particular destination. It doesn't get much more hopeless than that. But at the same time, then the world says, but you are important and your life should have meaning. Well, those are completely contradictory worldviews that our culture grasps at. And yet people feel this sense of hopelessness. They feel this, they, they experience this. No matter how many self-help books or how successful or whatever we can focus on, 
How many of you have seen that interview with Tom Brady that's go, that goes around the YouTube after he's won all those after he's won all those championships? You can watch the interview. Just look it up where he looks at the interviewer and he says, "But I just had to say, there's got to be something more than this." How many of you see, you've seen that video? Some of you've seen that. There must be something more than this. It was truly without what a statement having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh. That idea is you've been allowed to come close, come close. I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be whole. You've made close by the blood of Christ. Now, and then, in verse 14, for he is our peace, who hath made both one. That means Jew, Gentile, have brought, been, had peace with each other, who hath made both one and hath broken down the, the middle wall, this separation, this partition that was between us, having abolished in his flesh. That, and we think about that when we, we received communion last Sunday night. We think about the body of Christ being broken. Here it says that having abolished in his flesh, when his body was broken, it broke down that middle wall of separation. It united the people of God, having have, um, in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He fulfilled the law. He accomplished the law. And by doing so, he made in himself of twain one, what's it say? One new man. So making peace. You notice that statement, new man. This idea of newness is all throughout the New Testament. That the concept of being born again. You see, it's not that, I, I just read this site, I think it was yesterday. It's not that we give, we, we, it's not that we let Jesus into, to use some popular terminology, we don't let Jesus into our hearts and give our lives to him. What we do is, Jesus gives us a new heart and a completely new life. He remakes all that was old. Now, this passage specifically is not emphasizing the personal newness of life. Did you notice this here? It's not emphasizing that, that we personally are new, although that is certainly true in this passage, that when you come to Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's certainly true. But what's being emphasized here is not just our new personal identity in Christ, but our new community identity in Christ. Why? Because it says here, he's made of two, one new man. What is he talking about? He's talking about, God. you have to understand that God has always desired a people. God has always desired relationship with his creation. And God used different methods to draw his creation into relationship with him. He used, the, he used the children of Israel. Before that, he used the patriarchs. Before that, he used Adam and Eve and Noah and their sons. God has always had a plan for bringing people into relationship with him because God desires a family, a household, a people. But here we have the fullness of the plan, and that is this, that the, that taking Jew, 
taking Gentile, the Bible says, and making us have one new identity. And that is the church. That is, we belong to the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. That we are a new man. We have a new identity that's been made possible by Jesus. And that is our primary identity. Who are you? Who am I? There's a lot of ways you could answer that question. In these days, it would have, they would have prided themselves very much in an ethnic description of who they were. They would have, they would have described where they were from, or maybe their, their family, they would have described those things. Maybe they would have, in Roman culture, they had a socioeconomic identity. Their identity was either servant, or there was a, a large slave culture in the time of the Romans. They would have had all these ways of describing themselves, but Paul reminds the Ephesians and reminds us that we do not primarily identify ourselves the way the world identifies itself. We are not, first and foremost, New Englanders. We are not, as I am, first and foremost, a Malachuk or whatever your family name is. We are not primarily Americans. We are first and foremost members of the household of God. We belong to Christ. And it's not just a question of allegiance. It's a question of who we are at our core. We have a new place in the family. This theme continues in the book of Ephesians. I gave you on your handout, Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. It's described this way. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That it's a, it's the, the, the desire of God to have that family. So, back in, verse number, ver, back in verse number 15, we read, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Not only do we have peace one with another, but we've been reconciled to God in Christ. That now we have, we're not just, it's not just that there are human disagreements and our human differences are laid aside, but the vast difference between us and God, has that, that, that um, the chasm has been bridged and we are reconciled to God by the cross. Verse 17, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Verse 17 is an amazing verse. That it says that Jesus came and preached peace to you. What is the idea here? Is this the idea of, is this a particular sermon that's being referenced, that, or a, a particular uh, time that Jesus spoke? No, I think the message is this. The coming of Jesus Christ, that God became flesh, that he gave himself for us, is the boldest and the loudest proclamation of, that could ever be heard. And it's Jesus saying, peace to you. Peace. Come. He said it so many ways. It was the, we'll, we'll come into some Christmas theme messages in the coming weeks, but the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to man. Let's never lose that the message of Jesus Christ is a message of good news. That, that God made a way for us to have peace with him. 
Let's, we, we can see the world around us and the tr- troubles and the trials and the difficulties and the sin and the problems in our culture. And all that's in, it's important for us to take a stand for righteousness. But we must not forget that the message of Jesus is good news. He preached peace. He preached come. And as I said, it was said so many different ways. I quoted the scripture earlier in the service. He who cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The life of Jesus is the proclamation, the preaching of peace. Peace. Verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. That's to the ones who are far off, or the Gentiles, to the ones who are near were the Jews. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Verse 18 describes yours and mine, if we're in Christ, our, our spiritual standing. It's got the, the, the Trinity in the verse as well. There's so much in verse number 18. You see our standing? You see it? You see the basis for our standing? Do you see the, do you see the, the Trinity in verse number 18? Through him, who's that? Christ, we both have access, access to whom? The Father, access to the Father, and who enables that? Spirit. Through him we have both access by one Spirit unto the Father. Through him we have access. That word access, it means the ability to approach. The ability to approach. Before Jesus how could you approach, how did you approach God? Before Jesus, how could a person approach God? Law and sacrifice. sacrifice. The law and sacrifice and the priesthood. That was how you approached God. You had to have have a sacrifice to go. Jesus, Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is not only the sacrifice, but he is the law. Jesus is not only the sacrifice and the law, he is the priesthood. He's all of it. Why do I say that? You say, well, Ethan, we're all saved. Well, Ephesians chapter 2 is written to save people, to remind us of how we can approach God. You do not approach God because you've read your Bible every day. You do not approach God because you've been faithful in prayer. You do not approach God because you faithfully put your offering in. You do not approach God because you conquered every bad habit and every sin in your life. If that is what you're basing your relationship with God on, you're going to be defeated, and I will mark it down. You will eventually just give up on this Christianity thing. I'm not saying you'll stop believing in Christ, but there are many Christians who are believers in Christ, but they have forgotten that they approach the Father, their relationship with the Father and their relationship with one another is not of works. It is through Him, by the Spirit. We approach only, only because Jesus made a way for us. See, because what happens is sometimes, sometimes you feel like, you know, I've, I've been a, a pretty good Christian lately. I mean, honestly, how many of you ever had those moments in your life, right? You're like, you know what? I'm kind of in a groove, kind of in a groove. 
It's been months since I missed church. I'm reading my Bible. I, I, I got a Christian podcast. I even read a book. You know, I'm just, I got all this new Christian music. I'm just kind of in a groove right now. I'm doing well. And we start to believe the lie of the devil. And you know what the devil does sometimes when we're in those moments? Sometimes he doesn't even distract us away from it, I don't believe. I think sometimes he comes along and pretends to be our cheerleader and stroke the ego and say, yeah, you are doing pretty well. I mean, look at all those other Christians. <laughs> they, they call themselves Christians. I've heard, I've, have you ever had that attitude? Like, oh, and he calls himself a Christian. Oh, you're doing pretty well. And then you know what happens? It's just a big setup where we get puffed up, puffed up, puffed up, puffed up. And then that old sin that you thought you had conquered years ago comes back in and you fail. And what happens? You've based your acceptance, you've based your standing on how well you've performed, and now you've failed. And where do you find yourself? Unaccepted. Unworthy. Not that, that he would not take me back. It says here that our access is through him. Never forget that. As righteous as you live, no more access, no special access. As far as you sin, now listen, this is a part, you know, some, you, some people are like, oh, you know, you get a little nervous if I say this, but it's Bible. No matter how much you sin, you still have access by the blood of Jesus. 100%. Now, the problem is, the further you sin, the less you desire that access. You, you've experienced that. It's not, it's not a license to say, yeah, go out, live however you want. God will always take you back. No, we know there's great danger in sin because sin calluses our heart and leads us down a dark path. And so very often we could, we could, go, we could wander off into sinful choices and we walk away from the faith and we just get darker and darker and darker and our life starts to unravel and we lose our desire to even be close to him. It's not that we're like, well, if I clean myself up now, I can come back. No, all I have to do, all I have to do is, as, this, as the song says, just one step in his direction, and in love he ran to me. It's the picture of the father coming to the, the prodigal. Why? Because access is through him. Access is through him. It's through him. It's not through me. It took a lot longer on that than I thought I was going to. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Verse 19. Now therefore, because, because of all that we just read, I think, and I think the therefore is linking us back to verses 11 through 18. You have this new identity. You belong to him. You are part of his, his family. Because of all that Christ has done, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Oh, but now you're fellow citizens with the saints. You're of, that word of means it's the idea of belonging to. You're fellow citizens 
and you belong to the household of God. Now, as you can see, I've got three, three more points here. Let's, I'll try to get through them quickly. What about this place, this place of belonging in the household of God? Well, the next three verses unpack, I think, three truths about this. So everything we've said so far, it's a new identity that is only accomplished by Christ, nothing that we can do. And because of Christ, this is a, first of all, a secure place. Can I just bring you back for a minute? If it's up to me, if my access, if my approach is based on my performance, how secure is that? It's not secure at all. But because it's by Christ, my standing is oh so secure. Look at verse 20. So he goes, he says in verse 20, and are built upon the foundation. Built on the foundation. So now we're mixing our metaphors a little bit, right? Because first we're talking about a household, which is not talking about a structure. It's talking about a relational family. But now he uses a new metaphor. And this metaphor is not of the family unit, but of the literal house that they live in. And he starts to describe our spiritual our spiritual life and this, this place that we have in the household as a building. In verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It is secure. My standing in this family is safe and secure. Boy, shouldn't that be a, shouldn't that be a standing in any human family, especially a Christian family, that your standing is secure? I mean, some of us have experienced family life that is less than secure, wouldn't you say? That all around us and, and that people have offended one another and families have separated and all of this and, and don't need to bring up any old wounds or anything that you, you may have experienced. But the fact is, it's not God's plan, but human families often lack that sense of security. But the household of God, the life that we're building in Christ, is to be rock solid and secure. And I say this because it's so important that we, as the local body of Christ, the local building and house of God, we exhibit the true realities of the eternal house of God, right? So that if there is, a, if there is always a place in the in the, in the eternal family of God, then there ought to always be a place in this family of God. So that makes, I could have worked on that phrase a little bit more, I think, but you understand what I'm saying. But that's the attitude of the local church. Why? Because we're not built on people or personality or success. The church is built on a solid foundation. Now, this is interesting. In verse number 20, what, how is the foundation described? Look at it with me. You're built upon the foundation. Now, how is the, it's a two-part foundation. And the two parts of the foundation, first of all, the first part of the foundation is the what? The apostles and prophets. So we've got this, the, 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 the grammar, the structure of it is such that we're built on the foundation of first, apostles and prophets, but then secondly, and most importantly, what? Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That idea of a chief cornerstone would obviously be that the largest rock, that, that whole foundation, all of the sides are coming to that chief cornerstone, the most solid, solid piece that you could find, that the whole building is, is put together on. 
But what are the apostles and prophets? And why does he remind us that, that the true church of God, the true house of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? When he speaks of the apostles and prophets, and I think and this is something that's, that's missed, I think this should be taught more, because you see a lot of Christians go off into false teachings. It, it happens a lot. They get off into false studies and, and get pulled away from the simplicity of the scriptures because they forget that Jesus said it is the apostles and prophets that he would use to establish his church. And what did the apostles and prophets leave us? The New Testament. They left us the New Testament. Say, and there are people that will say, well, I kind of believe in Jesus, but I'm not really sure about all of the, t- the books of the New Testament. I'm not sure about all of that. Well, wait a minute. Jesus said that he would give, that, he, that the apostles would be the ones. They were the ones that were commissioned of Christ. They were commissioned of Christ to give us the, the truth, the teaching of Jesus. So our Christian faith, our doctrines, the word of God, in fact, why do we, why did the church, why did the church accept certain books? There were many, many religious books written in the first century, many epistles and many, many letters. Why do we only have 27 of those in our New Testaments, in our New Testament? Because they have the seal of apostleship. They were by, they were given to us by the ones who Jesus Christ personally commissioned. In other words, we have a historic faith. It's historic. Jesus gave us, he told us when he rose from the dead, this is how it would be. And so the foundation of our faith must always be the apostolic record. And by the apostolic record, we mean the word of God, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. We're built on the word of God. We're built on the, on the record of the apostles and prophets. But it's not just that. Our, our relationship, our place in this family is not simply academic. It's not simply, yep, I understand what Paul said. Oh, there's James. Great. Let's see what Jude had to say. I understand Peter. I understand all. I, I, know, I know the book of Romans. I know all of the theology, all the doctrine. No, he says here, we're not just built on the teachings of the apostles and prophets, but it's all anchored in who? It's all anchored in Christ. It's all built on Christ. There has to be a personal connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to know him personally as well. And that is the security. That's what he's talking about when he said in verse 18, it's through him. It's through him. And as long as we're built on the word of God, and as long as we're built on the person of Jesus Christ, we're going to have security. We're going to have stability. But the minute we waver off of that, it starts to unravel. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what a popular teacher says. We live in a in a day now where on social media we're watching people. The word the popular word is people are deconstructing, right? They say that well they used to believe these things that to be true, but now they don't, and they go through this process of deconstruction. Well, listen, you cannot deconstruct if you're built on the rock of Jesus Christ. You get down to that foundation. Now, there are some people who have a lot of Christian ideas that are not built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and they need to start taking some bricks off of that house and get it right down to the foundation, get right down to what does the Scripture say and build on that foundation. It's a secure place. 
Well, also, you'll notice in verse number 21, it's a place to grow. It's a place to grow. It said the how, we are built in verse 20 on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and then in verse, and Jesus is the cornerstone in verse 21, in whom, in Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. It's a secure place, but then the family of God should be a place to grow. Isn't that what all uh, families should be like? A place for children to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? A family should be a place where children, where children grow in their, in their uh, intellectual ability, in their, in their emotional stability. They grow in, 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 their, in wisdom. And as Think of the scripture, grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We grow in, and people grow in all these ways in a loving household. Well, that is exactly what the church of God is supposed to be. A place where people are growing. A place where people are not not. Uh, not today what they were yesterday because they've grown in the faith. Grown in the faith. How many, I, sometimes we have a tradition, we don't necessarily do it every year, but whenever we set up our, whenever we set up our Christmas tree, it would probably be next week. Whenever we do that, how many of you have already had it up for like a month? You know, some people like that. Sometimes we'll get that done and we will pull up I've got all the old photos and uh, old videos like in Google Drive. I've got the Chromecast on the TV so you can just sit on the couch and pull up the old videos and just throw them up on the TV there, right? And so we'll watch these old videos. And, you know, they, they didn't used to be old, but now they're starting to feel like they're old videos, you know? And so going back, and I watched one recently, and... Um, it was, uh, you just see the kids, and it's like, wow, they're so little. Or how many of you got that Facebook, you do you see that Facebook time-lapse thing, and all of a sudden a picture comes up from so long ago, you're like, man. Well, it would be pretty, you watch, uh, you know, there's this funny video I have of Gideon when he was real little. I was going to embarrass him a little, he's in the back. But um, he was real little, going to the fridge. He's probably two years old, and he's exploring the, he's exploring the refrigerator, right? And I'm just kind of recording him at like two years old. And he's telling me all the things that are in the refrigerator, right? All these things in the, we had some soup there. He's like, oh, what's that? Gideon, foop, that's foop, you know? And oh, what's that? Kits, kit, you know, carrots. He's trying to say all these words. It's so funny, you know, all that. We look back at that. And as parents, sometimes we're like, man, I wish I could just go back and capture a minute of that, right? How many of you ever thought that? And, but then, can you imagine if we played that video and I looked at him and I'm like, oh, yeah, not much changed. He still says it the same way. You know, he still walks the same way. You know, something would be seriously wrong, right? Because that's not what's supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen is a child is supposed to grow and become more capable, and then eventually the child is supposed to leave. And many, many years from now, the child is supposed to leave and go on because the home is a place for growth. Well, in the church, it's a place for growth, too. We shouldn't expect all believers to behave the same way, should we? We shouldn't expect them all to look the same or act the same. Why? Because God has fit this. You see what it says? That in Christ, he has fit this building together. He's joined it all together exactly how he wants, and it's growing. It's growing. The patience of Christ. We grow in him. The growth here is focused on him. It's not about growing in number or even just in knowledge, but growing in him. We grow together. 
And did you notice here that we grow in holiness? The goal is to be a holy temple in the Lord. So can I ask this question? Are, are we growing? I mean, all of us. Are we growing? We have this wonderful place in the household of God. We're completely secure. What a place to grow. But are we growing? What sometimes happens in our lives is we, get at, we, we have growth spurts, right? Where all of a sudden, we go through these experiences where we feel our faith is being strengthened. We're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. But sometimes we get to a point where we don't say it out loud, but it's almost as if we say, all right, I've grown enough for now. That the Lord might be working in our hearts and, and, and maybe speaking to us about taking a step of faith or getting more involved or, or, or being more bold in our witness. Or you could, you could go down a whole list of different things that, that how God stretches us. We could get to these points where we say, you know what? Yeah, I've made a lot of progress, but I'm just not going to go that far. And our growth becomes stu- uh, stunted at that point. Are you growing? Are you growing? Have you grown this week? Have you grown this month or this year? This is a place to grow. In whom the, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. So it's a secure place. It's a place to grow. And then finally, this is a place where we are in his presence. What is the goal of all of this? What is the goal of all this? Well, look at verse 22. In whom ye also. Did you, I have to show you this. Did you notice all the in, in whom's and in the Lord's that are in this passage? We started, we, we really started emphasizing it back in verse number, well, I could show you back in verse 13, but now in Christ. I could show you that in verse number 15, in his flesh. I could show you in verse number, verse number 16, in one body by the cross. Verse number 18, through him. It says in verse number 21, in whom. And then again in verse number 22, in whom. Keeping our focus where it's supposed to be, on the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom ye are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That's another Trinitarian verse right there. In whom? In who? In Christ, in Jesus. Build it together for a habitation of God the Father, and it's all through the Holy Spirit. In whom you're builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. God desires to live with his people. That's the word habitation. In other words, the place where God lives place where he lives. You think about from the very beginning, God has always desired to live with his people. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve would visit with God on a daily basis. They would spend time with him and walk with him. Enoch, you remember Enoch? And Enoch walked with God and he was not. Why? Because God took him. And Noah found favor with God. Abraham was called the friend of God. All of these, these pictures. And then God 
gives, gives the people the tabernacle because in the tabernacle, God would dwell with his people. But in the New Testament, because of Christ, we know that God dwells not in, a temp, not in the temple, not in the tabernacle, but Paul would say to the church, he'd say to the Corinthians, he would say, you are the temple. That we are the temple individually, but then it also says that we as a church are the temple, the habitation of God. We are the place where God lives and God dwells. Jesus would say, abide in me and I in you. God doesn't just desire for us to know him or to know about him or just to bring us to heaven, but God desires to live with his people. And it's by the power and person of the Holy Spirit. We live, we are the dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in us. And as we come together, the Spirit of God dwells among us. And the Lord is here in our midst. God is here. He's in here. He dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 6, Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. God's desire to have his people. So is his presence known among us? I mean, really, if someone were to come in, would they experience the presence of God among us? I mean, that's, that's important to think of. You say, well, that sounds a little bit mystical. Well, it's not so mystical. It's actually very practical because there's this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I'm gonna get them, I always get them out of order. You know, I've memorized a lot. I don't know why. I just need to sit down and get those things in order. Temperance, you know, all, all, those, all those goodies of the Spirit, right? The gifts, the fruits of the Spirit. They are, they are the exhibition. They are the demonstration that God dwells here, that God lives among us. But when we make the church more about us than about Him, we lose the sense of His presence. So, I guess just some questions for us. We had a, we're, we're coming off of a, I think, a, hopefully for you, it was for me a really wonderful week. I think my week started, my week started last Sunday night at our praise service and our communion service. What a great, what a great way to start the week. And then we had time, many of us with family and whatnot. Now we come back as a church family. We're going to end the year. We prepare for a new year soon. The, the questions we need to ask is, are we, are we living out the fullness of this teaching? I mean, this is a rich, rich passage that's all by His grace, and we are His household. We belong to Him. Are we growing, and is His presence known among us? So as we conclude, I guess the other question would be this. Are you a part of God's family? And as I look out this, this morning, it's a smaller crowd. Most of us, we all know each other. And, and, but even in this room, the question would be, maybe it's possible that you've had the idea that you're accepted by God because you do enough good things. Your place in God's family was purchased by Jesus Christ. Has there been a time where you have received him by faith? Are you truly part of the family of God? 
If there's never been a point in your life where you've received Jesus as your personal Savior, do that today. There's a place. There's a place at the table. He says, come and I won't cast you out. Receive Jesus Christ by faith. Or maybe you're watching the video today and you say, I'd like a place in the family of God. Jesus purchased your place with his blood. Will you receive him by faith? If if you're not sure, make today the day that you settle that. And then Christians, are we living out that reality? Is the presence of God known and experienced among us? Let's bow our heads for a time of invitation this morning. We'll bow our heads and close our eyes. As we think about these truths that we've studied today, first off, I'll ask the question once more. Do you know for sure that you're part of the family of God? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Do you know for sure that if you died today that heaven would be your home? Is there any doubt If there's any doubt at all, why don't you settle that this morning? Simply pray in faith to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I do know that I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your grace, but I believe you died and rose again for me. And today I ask you to save me. Today I put my faith in you. Would you pray something like that? If if you're just, even if you're uncertain, just say, Lord, I want to be part of your family. My faith is in you and you alone. Do that today. And then, Christian, what, how did God speak to your heart this morning? Do you need to just step back into His grace and mercy? Do you need to let His Spirit control you more in whatever way? Let's just take a few minutes and have some prayer. As the piano plays softly, let's just spend some time with the Lord. Lord, we are just eternally grateful for your grace and mercy. Lord, There's, I thank you that you came, that you saw us at our worst and you gave your very best, that you loved us. And Lord, we thank you that if we come to you, that there's no possibility of us being turned away. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, I pray for our church that's gathered this morning. I pray for our church that's couldn't be gathered with us today. I pray that we would each sense the reality of your grace and your acceptance and your love. I pray that we would extend that to others. I just pray that you'd use us to reach our friends, our community, to to share the love of Christ. Help us to, to encourage one another to grow. I pray this would be a place of growth. I pray for our children downstairs right now and Lord, I pray for the children that have ridden in our bus today, and we just pray that your grace would be known in their lives, that that they would follow you, that they would trust you, Lord. Lord, we believe that you have great things in store for, for this church and for our lives, and we just pray that we would always be surrendered to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.